We continue the Shear in Navi. Today, of course, we go from Nevi'im to Kesuvim. We have completed the story of Nevi'im. Kesuvim is the third section of Tanakh. Torah, Nevi'im, Kesuvim. These are the 24 Sephorim, 24 books of the written Torah, Torah itself. Today's story will deal exclusively with the Sefer Eov, the story of a man named Eov. And it is a story that you should remember. We've had this entire story in its entirety in the Gemara Shear a little over a year ago. Now, a year is enough time to forget. But even if you recall it very clearly, this is a story with all the information from the Gemara, that it pays definitely for a person to review constantly. First, it is part of the Torah, and secondly, it contains one of the most powerful lessons possible. The moral impact is as powerful as you can find in any story in the Torah. So, it should be listened to very attentively, and we should be zecher to fulfill the lessons contained therein. The story of Eov, Torah tells us that Eov was extremely religious, feared Hashem, and served Hashem with all his heart, all his might. He was a tzaddik, and he was also extremely wealthy. His wealth consisted of many fields, many cattle. He had 7,000 heads of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen and 500 mules. He also had his own personal possession was he had a wonderful wife. He had seven sons and three daughters. Now these seven sons, because there were seven, made a suda, a feast, every day of the week in which they invited their brothers and sisters to their home and they celebrated the fact that they were wealthy, they had no problems, this was, in effect, a feast of thanks to Hashem. However, it is possible that at each one of these feasts, they might drink too much, they might commit some wrong act, and so at the end of the seven days, Eov would bring a korban, a sacrifice to Hashem. This sacrifice offering was both as a thanks to Hashem for everything he possessed, also a sacrifice of chatos, a sacrifice of repentance, to forgive for any sin that might have been committed by his family. This is the story below. Torah says that one day, one day means Rosh Hashanah. That is the one day or the first day of the year, the new year. On Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment, there is an assembly, a meeting that takes place in heaven. Hashem meets with his heavenly court, and there is decided judgment for the entire world as a whole, and for every individual, Every single person, individually, his fate is decided on that day for the entire coming year. At this meeting, the Satan, evil force, of course, attends too. And Hashem opened the conversation with the Satan, Satan, the angel of evil, asked him, where are you coming from? In other words, there's an opening of conversation. Hashem knows and sees all. The Satan answered, I floated about the world, inspecting, observing, and the result of my observation is to report that I find no one in existence today, he said, as great, as holy as Abraham Avinu. 
This, of course, was many generations later. The story took place. So, Hashem said, in what respect do you find that he was, that no one can compare to him? And the Satan said, well, who was as loyal as he when you promised him the whole of Eretz Yisrael, the entire land of Israel would be his. Will all belong to him. That's a lot of land, a lot of real estate. Despite this promise, later in his life, when his wife Sarah passed away, he had to find a grave for her, small grave, just enough to bury his wife in a selected place and then pay 400 of precious pieces of silver for that small plot of land. And yet, he did not complain whatsoever. This was the Satan commending the greatness of Avraham Avinu. So Hashem said to the Satan, well, you haven't seen my servant Eov. Eov is a tzaddik who is so pure that he can surely match the greatness of Avraham Avinu. What was Eov's greatness? The Gemara says, why was he considered so great, aside to the fact that he was a tzaddik, he had fear of Hashem? What was his outstanding point? The Gemara says his outstanding point was that he was a sport. So as being good nature, he was a sport. But what is meant by a sport? He was easygoing. He'd walk into a store, and if an item would cost two for 49, that means 24 and a half cents a piece, he would tell the storekeeper, here's a quarter for one, Instead of dickering, ask if you give me for 24 cents, you keep the other half penny. So for half penny, I can be a sport. This was Eov, the multi-millionaire. And this, the Lord says, was his greatness, because he didn't dicker about a half penny. Of course, this requires explaining. What is so big about a person who doesn't dicker about a half penny? Besides which, besides which, wouldn't you say that we would speak about the greatness of a man money-wise, we would speak about the charity he gives. It's stuck at the Gemilat Chasodim. Why being a sport? The answer is, the commentaries explain, there are many people who when it comes to tzedakah, charity, they are very free with their money. Because they have a goodness of heart when it comes to tzedakah, helping a person who is poor, who is in need, lending people money if they need it. But when it comes to business, then they harden up. They become very cold-blooded, very ruthless, and for a half penny, which means for a very small amount, it would slit someone's throat, Chasashon. comes to business, they are completely heartless. This was the greatness of Eov, even if it was the smallest amount. In business, he would always forego his own. He was a sport in business, or socially, as well as in Stucker. Giving charity, he was outstanding. At this point, the Satan said to Hashem, I don't see what there is to commend Eov about. After all, why should he not be loyal to you? Why should he not be religious when you've blessed him with so much wealth? He has no problems at all. His children, his family are healthy. His possessions are superior in number to that of any other person alive. And his muzzle, his luck, his good fortune goes beyond the natural, because if ever his flock of sheep is attacked by wolves, by nature, wolves would tear apart the sheep. In his case, his sheep destroy the wolves, which means it's a special blessing given even to his cattle too. So what is so unusual about his being loyal to Hashem? Hashem replied, 
In that case, then, I will let you test him. You may test him with anything you wish. You can destroy everything he has, but you are not to touch him, you're not to hurt him physically. You go through a test to see if he'll still remain loyal after he suffers. The Satan left immediately. This was a happy mission for himself, to get at Eov. Eov says, by the way, the Satan is out to get Eov, he's out to hurt him. If he's out to hurt a person who's good, why, how come that he worked so hard to speak of the greatness of Avraham Avinu? Why did he come to Hashem and say, speak about how great Avraham Avinu was? Since when is he a, a staunch defender of the leaders of the Jews? First father of the Jews, Avraham. The answer to the Gemara says, Rav Acha, one of the rabbis of the Gemara said that the Satan's kavana was good. The Satan saw that as time passed, it was possible. Hashem might forget the mitzvah, the holiness of Avraham Avinu, and forgetting that, he would stop using the zechus of Abraham, the Akedah, to protect the Jews in case of sin. Therefore, the Satan brought this up to renew a strong affection that Hashem had to the Jews through the remembrance of the service of Avraham Avinu. In other words, the kavona, the intentions of the Satan, the evil angel, were good. The Imara says that the next day, the Satan himself, this powerful angel, came to the yeshiva where this rabbi, Rav Acha, was. He bent down and he kissed Rav Acha's feet. And he said, people malign me. They speak so evilly about me. The Satan, evil Satan, is on. Nobody says a good word about poor me. He who came and spoke so nicely about me, you've reach the point where you understand me, you're the first one to tell the truth about me. Therefore, he said, I want to show my appreciation by kissing his feet. Have the Satan bow down and do that. That's a very big privilege. But the Imara says that this is fact. The Zayda Kodesh explains that the work of the Satan actually is for the benefit of the good Jews, not the bad ones. Note that the, it says when Hashem created the world, the Aralekim is called Hashem said everything was good. Tov, miyod, very good. Yours is tov, what's good? The Yetzir Tov, the good angel. Tov, miyod, very good, is the bad angel, the Satan, or the Malachamav is the angel of death. For whom is it very good? For us, for the Tzadikim, not for the Rishon. The angel of death is bad for the Rishon because he takes their lives. The angel of death, the Satan, is good for Tzadikim, for the holy people, because... It is only because of the Satan, the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination that a Tzaddik can become a Tzaddik. If not for the Satan, the Yitzhahara, a Tzaddik could never rise a stature. If he wasn't tested by this Yitzhahara and overcame this desire, overpowered the Yitzhahara, he could never become a Tzaddik. He could never tell the difference between a Tzaddik and a Russia. So told me, oh, very good is this Satan, this Yitzhahara, because he brings about the elevation of tzaddikim. Now, this Satan said about the test Eov, an act that could elevate Eov too, more than the tzaddik that he was. The next day, the Torah tells us that a messenger, fast horse, came riding up to Eov. He leaped off his horse and said, I am one of your workers. I came to report that the queen of Sheba, of course, the Gemara says, there is no queen of Sheba, as some people led to believe. Say, a misconception. 
Malkas Shvah means the kingdom of Sheba. It's falsely translated as the queen of Sheba and King Solomon. That's, these stories are good only for Hollywood. In truth, the fact was that there was a kingdom of Sheba that came, became friendly with the Jews to a degree, but at times they were not that friendly. The kingdom of Sheba sent a band of marauders who came and attacked your shepherds and robbed the 500 oxen, 500 mules, and killed all these shepherds. It's all gone. And this messenger, as he completed this message, fell to the ground dead too. Before Eov could stop to think, a second horseman came flying up to him, leaped off and said, I have a report to you. A fire descended from heaven, seemingly, and it consumed, it burnt up the 7,000 heads of lambs you had, sheep. This message do fell dead at the spot. At this moment, the third one came up and reported that the custom, the Babylonians, sent a band over and robbed the 3,000 camels, killed those who took care of them for Eov. A fourth messenger came now and said there was a heavy storm at your home. The children were all present in that home at this feast. Seven sons, three daughters, this heavy storm, a hurricane wind, destroyed the entire house. The building came crashing in, and your sons, daughters, all your servants were killed in this accident. This left Eov completely alone. His children, family destroyed. He had his wife remained, of course. His children were dead. All his belongings completely wiped out. He was left alone. Eov spoke one sentence. The sentence was, Hashem nosan v'Hashem lokoch, yehi shem Hashem evorach me'atav adelam. Hashem gave me, and now Hashem has taken. I bless the name of Hashem because the Torah says that you must bless Hashem even when misfortune strikes. You still must say, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Dainemus. <coughs> this Eov did immediately, proving that he was a tzaddik, despite the fact that he now no longer was wealthy, despite the fact that such tragedy struck him. So, the Satan now returned to heaven to report, and Hashem said to the Satan, look at this. For no reason at all, here's a tzaddik, and you talked me into it. You persuaded me to destroy him practically for nothing. The Gemara says that this is hair-raising, the statement. Kaviyachal, can we say that Hashem can be persuaded, influenced by the Satan? The Gemara explains that Hashem created the world and gave the Satan this free reign, this free power, because of the benefit that could result from this. The Satan is given a lot of latitude. He may go out and do harm to others, because from this harm he come forth eternal good. So, Kaviyochel, as though Hashem was persuaded by the Satan, and he told the Satan, are you convinced now that Eov is that loyal? The Satan replied, I'm not convinced at all. Because the Satan, who was a psychologist and knew human nature, said there is a natural instinct on the part of a person. Two, this is a very famous statement, or be ad or. That means, nature of a person is, he'll do anything at all in the world to defend himself against attack. 
even using illogical tactics. For example, you take a poker, a heavy iron, and strike out at a person's arm. Suddenly, in order to protect his arm, what will he do? He'll place his other arm over it. This is his arm, and this is his arm. This is R, this is his skin, this is his skin. Yet he won't think. He'll do anything at all to protect himself, even using his own self to shield himself. Which means that a person cannot really feel suffering unless he himself is affected. That's what worries him. He'll give all his money, all his possessions to save his own skin. So the Satan said, what kind of a test did you give me to, to place before Eov? I just took away his possessions. He himself wasn't touched. He wasn't harmed. That's no real test of his loyalty. Test himself physically and then see if he remains loyal. Hashem replied, you have my permission. Go out and test Eov. Do whatever you wish to him. Any manner of torture that you wish. But you must guard his life. You have no right to take his life. I send you as the Satan, not as the Malach Amavis. It's the same angel, the Satan and the angel of death. You're on a mission now as a Satan, but you must guard his life. You're not to torture him in a manner that could wound him fatally. The Lord says the Satan was very much filled with trepidation, with fear, because his own existence was now at stake. He had to be careful to hurt Eov, but to be very cautious in seeing that he does not hurt him mortally. And so, immediately afterwards, Eov contacted a skin disease of boils, rashes that broke out. The skin blew up into blisters, and this was like fire that consumed his entire body. The burning sensation was so unbearable that he was forced to build a fire and to create ashes and then to submerge himself up to his neck in these ashes. Burning ashes because the nature is that heat draws out heat. The pain and the suffering was practically unbearable. This went on for a number of days and staying there in suffering his wife watched him and he refused to say a bad word. He did not say, he did not complain. His wife said to him she couldn't bear the suffering. She said to him, why don't you say a harsh word, a blessing, against Hashem? The word blessing, of course, is not meant literally. It means the opposite, but I don't know how to say that word. If you say this blessing against Hashem, Hashem will kill you instantly for it. You'll be spared this pain and suffering. Eev said to her, wife, you speak very foolishly. Do that against Hashem, I could never do it. So he remained in that state of suffering, and then, a long series of sequences followed. First, the Arizal says, let's analyze the identity of Eev and his wife. This is an interesting point with which we should be aware of thoroughly. Who was this Eev? The Gemara goes about the long discussion, controversy about when he lived, who he was, what type of person he was, the consensus of opinion was that he lived in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu when the Jews had to cross the Red Sea. The whole purpose of this incident was a deliberate act by Hashem. Because the Gemara says that when the Jews were ready to cross the Red Sea, they went into the waters of the Red Sea. There was a complaint by the 
guardian angel of Egypt, who said to Hashem, why should the Egyptians die and the Jews live in this miracle of dividing the waters of the Red Sea? The Egyptians are idol worshippers, so are the Jews. The Jews were steeped in 49 degrees of impurity and tumor in Israel. What are these better than these? Why should the Jews remain alive? This was so powerful a complaint for the part of this evil angel, a part of the Satan. Zorah Kodesh says that Hashem decided to react the way a shepherd would if a shepherd was to lead his flock across the river to safety. But as he was about to lead him across, a powerful wolf came and attacked his flock. Now, if he would attend to the wolf, a flock would possibly drown. So, in order to offset this wolf, he saw among the flock there was one ram possessed physical power, and he set this ram in battle against this wolf. Let these two go into mortal combat against each other. While they're occupied in this combat, he'll have time to bring the rest of his flock over the river. This is what happened here. When the Sultan spoke against the Jews and said, why should they be saved? Why are they better than the Egyptians? Hashem said to the Sultan, occupy yourself with a challenge. Here's a powerful person, the Sadiq Eel. See if you can overcome him. If you can lead him away from faith. While the Sultan was busy with Eel, Hashem Iwal sneaked the Jews across the Red Sea in safety. But there can be no more complaint. This is one item. Same time, the Rizal says, what about the identity of Eov? Who was Eov? This fact that he lived at the time of the Red Sea, the Rizal says we find, we're davening every day, we say before us, Yoshir, Vayiru Ho'am Es Hashem, Vayamino Ba'ashem Ba'ashavda. Vayiru Ho'am Es Hashem, Vayamino Ba'ashem, is the letters Eov. First letters of those four words are Eov to show that that's when he lived at the time of the Red Sea. Same time, the Rizal says, who was he really? He was a Gilgul of Abraham Avinu's father, Terach. As we are going to learn in the Gemara later on, our Gemara Shir, the Gemara tells us that it is within the power of a son who is religious to save his father, his parents, from Gehenna. If the son is good, the father or the parent gets the credit for it. Now this works in the case of a Jew and his parents. The case of Abraham Avinu was so good, surely he could have saved his father. His father Terach was not a Jew. And yet Abraham Avinu felt a sense of loyalty, a sense of respect to his father. He wanted to get his father saved. So he strove very hard. He bent every effort in heaven and succeeded in taking his father out of Gehenna to have him sent back to earth as a Gilgal. This was Eov. Eov, let us stand for Oviv, his father, the father of the first father of the Jews, the father of the fathers, Abravina's father, who was sent down to earth to correct, to amend his former status as idol worship. Now, at that time, Terach's wife, the father of Abravina's wife, was very evil too. And she too required a tikkun. She came back as Dina, the daughter of Yaakov Avinu. Now, Dina had gone through a very sad experience with Shechem. She was attacked by this prince of Egoyim. And then she was sent out of her home. And she finally married Eov. She retained her purity, her greatness. Therefore, she was just as Eov was a tzaddik. 
so was Dina, his wife, a tzaddikis, pure. So therefore, the explanation here, this requires elaboration. Since Eov's wife was so pure, the daughter of Yaakov Avinu, Dina, Yaakov Avinu's daughter, imagine how great she was, how could she have said to Eov, bless Hashem, say Hashem a bad word against Hashem? It's impossible for one of as great as she to do it. The answer is, Hashem says that the, this was the command of a true tzaddikis. And as a mushal, a story that would describe the situation more properly. The story is told of a king who was very harsh, a king who was ruthless. He had a servant who was willing to give his life for his master. This was his closest servant who served him constantly, but this servant knew what loyalty meant. Loyalty, allegiance, devotion, he would gladly give his life for the sake of his king. One day, the king was sitting at the table, the royal table, with his ministers, officials around him, officials from other kingdoms who came to visit him, and this servant came to serve the king some soup. It was filled with a lot of vegetables, hot soup, and as he bent down to place the soup in front of the king, a drop, just a little drop, spilled over on the king's robe. The king, in all his regal majesty, cried out in anger and fury, kill this servant daring to allow a drop to fall on my robe. The servant did not hesitate a moment. He took this plate of soup and threw it at the king, dropped it all over his robe, his head, his crown, and everything. The king was dumbfounded. He couldn't understand. He could imagine that the servant would seek some form of revenge. He knew the servant was not that tight. So, before the servant was put to death, he had the servant brought before him privately, he asked the servant, explain your actions to me. Why did you throw that plate of soup on me? Knowing you for your goodness and loyalty to me, why did you do me such harm? The servant said, Your Majesty, I did it out of pure affection and loyalty. I wasn't worried about dying. Being killed by you was an honor. I was worried about hurting your image in the eyes of all your subjects, the eyes of your close followers. I didn't want that I should be put to death and people should say afterwards, this king is heartless because of a tiny drop of soup. He killed his closest servant, his most loyal subject. Therefore, I deliberately pour the entire plate of hot soup on you. People should say, this servant deserves death. The king is very just. The king recognized the purity of this servant's action, of course, pardoned him. In this case, too, identically, Dina. The wife of Eov said to Eov, you must do something to honor the name of Hashem. Because people are going to say, where is justice? Where is heavenly justice? Here is one who is so loyal to Hashem, greatest Sadiq alive, and this is the way Hashem treats him, with this kind of torture and suffering. Say something against Hashem, people will say a person like that deserves to be punished this way. Despite this, of course, Eov refused to say a word. He retained his loyalty, and this suffering continued. The test was scheduled for a period of 12 months. Now, shortly after this occurred, Eov had three loyal friends. These three friends were so close in friendship. They lived very far apart. They were so close in friendship that if ever one of them suffered, then all the other three, a total of four people, the other three would come immediately to 
render whatever assistance was possible. How did they make contact with each other? They had at that time a form of TV transmission, which shows, of course, that they were much further developed then, technologically, than the great brains of today. They had a form of transmission where if one of them felt any pain or suffering, his image would appear on a screen in front of the other three. They would see him suffering, and they would speedily set out to arrive at this person's house, give up all their work, whatever they're occupied doing, for the sake of assisting their friend. This was true achtus, unity among these four people. Now the message of Eo's suffering reached these three friends. The names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sofar. The three close friends of Eov who were all very wise, very learned, very sagacious, and very faithful to Hashem. Ramun and Hashem was unswerving. They came to Eov, they sat next to him, watching him in pain, suffering in these ashes. They could not speak. They were too broken hearted to speak. They waited for Eov to open up first. After a long period of time, Eov opened his mouth and spoke. And then we come to a series of sort of lectures. These are very deep. They're, in a sense, <clears throat> discussions about faith. Deep discussions of faith. A debate between Eov and these three friends. The entire Sefer Eov, that has over 40 chapters to it, deals with this debate. The remarks and replies going up and back from Eov and his friends. We cannot delve that deeply into it because this is a whole Sefer. It is one of the most difficult Sfarim, the Torah. The language is such deep poetic language that it's one of the most advanced Hebrew phraseology imaginable. We can only take it in a condensed form give you an idea of what each one said, and then, if you wish, you can pursue it further by reading these chapters, get the details of how they stated it. We'll give the exact order, sequence, of this debate. A very brief review of their statements. As we said, Eov opened up the conversation first. His first statement was, he cursed the day he was born. He said it would have been much better if the day he was born, if he had died on that day, not to live to reach a state of such suffering. And to what did he attribute this suffering? This must be, said due to his fate. The stars, his stars were in such manner, judging by astronomy, that in the stars his fate was sealed to a life of such intense suffering and therefore, since the stars are set, the pattern is set at the time of birth, the horoscope is due to a person's birth date. Therefore, he said, his birth date was guilty in his suffering, so he cursed the day he was born and wished he had never been born. We point out, of course, that using the term horoscope, known today as horoscope, it is something that does not exist today. No person today can read anyone's horoscope. It is absolute fraud in every sense of the word. There's no human being alive today who has the ability to read the stars or horoscope. In those days, people were great enough to tell to read stars, as we find in the case of 
Russia made in Egypt, Paras magicians could do so. Uh, Eov, this was at that era, Eov cursed the stars for his fate. Then the first friend, Eliphaz, spoke up to reply. Eliphaz's answer was one of shock. He said, that a person who has faith in Hashem should speak of fate, should speak of stars. Our emunah, our faith in Hashem is that everything that occurs is due to the individual supervision by Hashem. It's known as Hashkocha Prati. Individual Hashkocha supervision by Hashem. That no matter whatever happens, it happens at that very second because Hashem wills it and makes it happen then. Nothing comes because of the stars or because of fate, because of luck because of nature, it is all due to a direct act by Hashem. This is Ashkocha Prati, and therefore, he said, it is wrong for you to complain about your suffering, since this is the will of Hashem. So, obviously, this suffering came through Hashem for your benefit, because everything that comes from Hashem is for the good of a person. It came to erase any sins you may have. So, instead of complaining, you should accept it with good heart. This was Eliphaz's talk in brief. And Eov replied. After each one spoke, Eov came back with a rebuttal. Eov replied and said, If that is the case, then where is justice? Because surely, he said, he suffered much more than he should have. And if all is suffering, why should it still continue? Where is the so-called reward that comes to a tzaddik after the suffering? Why does he see only suffering and no reward? A second friend spoke up, Bildad. He came back again with the same claim as Eliphaz. Spoke again about Ashkocha Prati. The fact that this is an act of Hashem only, not fate. And tried to console Eov that the good is yet to come. He's going to have a lot of reward after this suffering. Eov now replied to Bildad and asked, Where is the kindness of Hashem? Hashem punishes a wicked person. His punishment consists of having the wicked person die suddenly or without suffering. That's no severe punishment. Why doesn't Hashem have pity on a tzaddik, the creation of Hashem, and one who's much closer to Hashem? Why should a tzaddik suffer more than a Russian, more than a wicked person? Third friend spoke up so far, who again strengthened the idea, the concept of Ashkocha Prati, and said to Eov directly, perhaps, it's because of your greatness and your wisdom, the greater you are, the more is expected of you. And therefore, because you are greater, because you have not fulfilled your duty as a great tzaddik, you're receiving a greater degree of punishment. This was so far's reply. To this, Eo rebutted and struck out, lashed out at so far that he dared to imply that Eo was so filled with such great sins and that he deserved this because of his degree of, of tzaddik, having done a sin that made him deserve the sin that, which is being punished. He said it was impossible that he had done a sin that was more than his ratio, greater than his wisdom. Eliphaz now came back again to speak. And he said to Eo too, how do you dare to say that you did not commit a sin? Because this alone 
is considered a sin. The fact that you say you did not commit a sin and you're suffering for nothing will cause others to lose their faith. What can be a bigger sin than this? He'll reply to this. He complained very strongly against them that they're not consoling him in this time of bereavement. And Hashem knows I did not sin, he said. I'm not causing others to be sinful because they know too that I am a tzaddik. Bildad spoke now. He refused to admit to Eov that he was right. And he said, only Hashem is the righteous one. And Eov could not be right against Hashem. Eov replied now and said, why do you accuse me of sin? Have you found a sin in me? If so, testify. Tell me what it is. And if it's because you see me suffering, therefore you feel there must be a sin, I tell you the suffering is for nothing. So far I said, again, it is impossible. You must have sinned. And this is the fruit of your sins. Eo spoke up again, replied to this and said, note we're giving very brief condensation of a whole, each one is a whole chapter. This is the condensation review of the entire chapter in a sentence. Eo said, even the worst evil people do not suffer like I do. If I did sin, there's no reason for me to have this much punishment, which proves that the punishment does not befit the crime. Eliphaz has now replied, take my advice and stop complaining, because only if you remain silent will you then be zelcher, will you achieve the greatness that is to follow. Eo said, if that's the case, then there is no justice in that the wicked suffer so much less and die in peace, so no matter what I've done, I still cannot deserve to suffer more than the most wicked Rishon. Bilret replied to this and said, Even a tzaddik can lose his mitzvahs through this type of complaints. Then Eov replied to them, his final reply to these three friends, he said, I refuse to admit that you are right. Because my words are all true. I have not committed any sins. He told a part of his life story how careful he was in conducting himself in purity. I never looked at an unmarried girl because I was afraid she'd get married someday. I'd have it on my conscience that I looked at an Ishishish, a married woman. I never looked wrongly at a person, never spoke evilly. I guarded myself against any type of sin whatsoever. Therefore, I feel that I am pure and just. He Continuation of this story, which takes a turn now, will continue and complete next class, Mitzvah, next Monday. There is a very interesting turn of events now, when there is a direct confrontation between Tavayachal Hashem and Eyal, who takes over the argument. Again, the lesson here is, the most important point of this story is, Emunah in Tzadikim, to have full faith in a Tzadik. Just as we have faith in Hashem, that faith in a tzaddik and tzaddikim, the source of that faith will be zocher. See a true light shine for us. The true light that will come with the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of Beis Hamikdash, the Yeshua, the victory for our people, the downfall of our enemies.